The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. And for this week's episode, I speak to another fly fishing guide and instructor, Peter Driver. Peter is a hugely experienced river angler and has fished for Ireland on numerous occasions, starting back in 2000 when he was just 19. He gives a fascinating insight into the level of competition and expertise required at the World and European Championships and why we still have so much to learn. Peter also owns the Piscari Fly Tying Company, and we spoke about the increased interest and demand in fly tying and digital content since the outbreak of COVID. The last couple of weeks have been tying flies, making videos, um, being able to... It's almost like people have more time nowadays to have that conversation, to really understand what you're trying to get across to them and come back with answers. So I'm finding it really more interactive because people have more time online now to sit down and, you know, they're not rushing here, rushing there just looking, gazing through the information, taking what they want out of it and move on. They're actually having time to really analyze it and come back with deeper questions. And, and it's good for us because it's actually making me kind of reconsider little things as those conversations develop, you know? So, yeah, no, it's, it's there's, there's, you know, there's... Um, and is, is it mainly the, the YouTube fly tying videos that you find are getting the kind of most engagement? Yeah, they are. Yeah, the YouTube videos are getting the most engagement because people have time now. There's, there's a... Uh, kind of two kind of um trends going there at the moment so you've got the people that have been tying flies for a while or are more experienced and been tying flies for a long time having more time to tie flies and then you got this whole new trend of, new strain of people that are coming on that maybe bought a bit of gear before never used it or they've decided you know what i've got so much spare time in my hands now can't go fishing let's learn how to tie flies and there is an abundance of information on youtube on how to tie flies you know um so what we're getting is we're getting those people come with questions we're tying videos for those people posting it to them posting them on our youtube channel and um, simple patterns easy effective patterns as well because all the patterns we tie are you know, you know the patterns that work for us you know i don't keep any patterns a secret or anything everything that works for me is what i put up so you know people are tying productive flies nice and simple patterns not too complicated and you're getting all this positive feedback then you know your videos are great and we're really enjoying it ever so simple and you know and so it's it's lifting their spirits a little bit like as well that so it's true true youtube mostly and some posts on facebook i.e pictures and stuff like that as well and you know but um no it's it's, it's been yeah it has been very busy you now thank god i'm fascinated to see how post-covid Will be will we be as engrossed in digital? You know that it'll be just become this is the way you know we live and this is the way we expect it to be. Like now, obviously, well, I think COVID is going to certainly COVID is certainly going to change personality traits. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's doing it already. It's going to change peace people's personality traits in relation to um, social interaction in groups, crowded people. You know, crowds of people. Um, you know, people are going to become more aware of. You know their personal space. I've noticed the one thing that used to really bug me a long time was you know standing in a queue and people standing right behind you and right in front of you. I because of a job I had for a long time, 
my personal space was something I protected very well, you know. And um, so we're now, you know, everyone's a bit more aware of personal space. But, you know, I think it's going to change. Absolutely, it's going to change personality traits as the way we behave as a society, I think. Um, and I think, you know, people's accessing digital media for a purpose, a real purpose, more so than just passing 10 minutes along the way. But, you know, because that's their way of communication, the way of interaction now um, is, I think it's going to change completely. Yeah, and I think we're going to see, I wouldn't say more dependence on digital media, but I think we're going to see a lot more really important content being communicated through digital media as in relation to that... Um, Kind of, it's kind of hard to put into words when we trail a thought, but you know, I think it's going to be, <clears throat> you know, that um, people are going to use. They're finding ways to use it an awful lot more than we would have had before. Yeah, exactly. I think that's. The, I think to me, that's the key point. Is like you said, it's like the other night I had a flight time session on Zoom. I never used Zoom before. I had a guy from Australia. I had a guy from America. I had two guys in from Europe. Three guys from Ireland, and. There was another guy that joined us from somewhere else, and we were all on the one, the one screen, and we were all playing slides together at the same time. Zoom, never done it before, and it was fantastic. It was brilliant. We had a two-hour conversation, that was absolutely amazing. You know, um, so that was something. Yeah, so there's, it'll be the future of it, I think, in terms of you yes. know, if you want to come together, that's how you'll kind of do it, whether it's through Zoom or whatever. Like, but I think the flip side of it yeah. as well, though, is interesting, is that. I think, and I know from speaking to a lot of people, is that they're using this time as a time to kind of reevaluate where they are in their lives and maybe thinking, do I really want to be working 60 hour weeks? Is it worth the hassle? And yeah. there's nearly like people are saying, you know, realizing the importance of family time and the importance of. Absolutely. You know, yeah. The no, simple I things had in life. A situation, I had a situation in my life prior to COVID 19 where I actually made that decision for myself. Now, lucky enough, fly fishing had been my absolute passion and breath for my entire life I, I live it and breathe it I, I, I completely am romanced by it like but um you know and, and coming into December I had a decision I worked in quite a stressful job at the time was taking up a lot of my time my two young small kids and um, my wife was a school teacher and the business was getting very busy and fishing was you know something I was going after a bit more but yet something I had to give now and, a, and in a very unfortunate circumstances the decision was made for me by an accident one of my kids had <clears throat> so I ended up having to just quit work. I just give it up. Um, even though that's where I wanted to go, but I wasn't expecting to quite happen so soon. But, um, you know, so I, I, I took, um, left my job and started saying, right, well, look at, you know, my family's more important. My kids are more important. Um, and following your heart and your dreams sometimes, you know, life's, the life's not going to last forever. You only get one crack at this thing. And if you've got something burning inside you for a long time that you want to have a go at, you know, have a go, fail. It's better than not going at all. As I, I always think so. You know, and, and if you don't... When did you go full-time on it, Peter? So full-time, December the 2nd was the date. No, I pretty much have been full-time at it for 15 years, you know. Uh, I've been working around the clock at it, like, for that. But I always had another profession. You know, I used to work in, in the HSE <clears throat> for the last 12 to 15 years. Um, so I gave that up completely in December and went then full-time at this. But, I, I, you know, pretty much I was always working full-time at it, like... Um, the job I had in the HC was kind of three or four day a week. But why, why, what they say is they always say is you know if you start a passion project on the side and then it gets to the stage where that becomes your full time job, that's when you know right I can give up the job. Now obviously you're saying it was it was forced upon you because of other circumstances, but you haven't regretted it one bit since you've gone full time. None whatsoever, nothing whatsoever. Absolutely been. Now I know COVID has kind of changed the course of the way things should have been going because I was going to be child mining as well in there, you know. Um, but um, 
absolutely nah it was yeah definitely to have the not bragging but to have the courage and, so, and the belief inside yourself to take that step to say this is what I want you know the, the fly fishing game is not something you're ever going to make your fortune of you know not, not not in Ireland or Europe it's very competitive to be in um, and I've never and I suppose the one if anybody you know, some people ask me about you know what advice would you give me if, if, if I was to say we're going to get into fly fishing and try start up a business I say first thing you have to admit to yourself is you're not going to make a whole lot of money at this and once you admit that to yourself and don't try to be become a very wealthy person with fly fishing, you'll get on fine. Just get by. It's and a lifestyle your life choice. for what it is. Yeah. It's a lifestyle choice. Set your life up the way it's got you you're gonna survive, pay your bills, enjoy your bit of fish, and but you've got you know, and that's that's about as good as you're going, you know, that's that's what you're gonna get out of it. And anything above that then is a bonus, you know. Um, um, and so it really, like, because I know you do guiding on the Blackwater as well, don't you? Um, yeah, where you, yeah. Where you have we started been doing this, down yeah. there this year with Blackwater trout and yeah. stuff, yeah. And you, like, do you also guide on, on um, the Nore there, is it? Bits and pieces on the Nore. I don't, I don't do a lot of guiding as such. I kind of call it more coaching. I get a lot of people that come to me that are already quite advanced in fly fishing, especially river fishing, and they want to improve, especially competitors. I do a lot of competitive coaching. Um, people want to come and work on one specific topic or they want to be introduced into nymphing or introduced into some particular school of, of river fishing. And, you know, it's kind of coaching more so than just bringing someone down, let them fish for the day on a stretch of water and just guide them there, just make sure they catch a fish or two, you know. It's it's, it's a bit more intense. I like to do that bit more of educational intense kind of thing. Um, so we do a lot of that, yeah. And, and bits of guiding here and there. It's a guiding here and there, but most of it would be what would class more of coaching. The people who come specifically because there's something, there's an issue with them, or they want to learn a particular say school of fly fishing, and they come to really do an intense kind of workshop on getting to a certain level, whatever it is that level that they, they aspire to be at. You know, because you fish for the Irish team, is that right, Peter? I've been fishing for Ireland. I went to Sweden back in 2001. It was the World Championships in 2001. I went to Sweden as a young lad. Got educated out there, big time. Blanked, blanked four out of five sessions. Not ashamed to admit it. Uh, was way overwhelmed. Too young, too inexperienced. Um, rivers were just massive, and um, it was just the whole thing was just. Yeah, but but instead of saying, "Right, I'm never doing that again," I came home from that trip and I said, "That's never going to happen again." So being on Irish teams on and off, it's it's it, to get consistency on Irish teams in Ireland, you need a, a little bit of luck there. There's one day qualifiers. Um, and if you draw the wrong peg, you draw the wrong peg. If there's no fishing, there's nothing you can do about it. That's just it. That's the qualification system. But I've been on and off them quite a bit <clears throat> for the last 20-odd years. And uh, the last one was the World Championships in Italy, just gone last year. Or was it the year before? I'm really forgetting the years now. The days went <laughs> the first, days. then the weeks went, then the months. And now it's the years are gone. We don't even know what year it is anymore. Uh, I think it was a year, a year and a half ago. So it wasn't the last summer. It would have been some before that. September for that the world championship run in Italy in uh, Toronto so I was the Irish captain at that one captain the Irish team at that one um, but I've been on and off and, and I do a, not only the Phipps Moosh World and Europeans for Ireland I do a lot of open European championships as well uh, in Wales in Italy and all these I travel for tournaments I just find tournaments not because of it, you're looking to win but I just find them such a great place to learn you know um, they're a great place to learn because you're controlling you're watching other competitors it's where the cutting edge is. And if I can get that information, process it myself, and then feed it back out to my customers, and you know they all feed into that as well, it becomes a very positive kind of place to 
um, you know, to be setting up a business in and, and trying to run a small business because people want that information, you know. Tell me about any highlights for you, Peter, over the, you know, between the, the Euros or the Worlds that stand out for you and, and all the different competitions you've taken part in. The biggest highlights would be all would be the friendships you make, I suppose. Um, you know, the camaraderie you would have with your fellow competitors. Um, be your own team and the, the other the other teams, you know, you make friends like, the, you know, it's people often ask me why fly fishing, why you so what's 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 about it? Like they do, who just don't get it. So look look at this way. You put two soccer people at a bar together within 10 minutes, they're fighting, arguing over who's the best team or who's going to win the premiership or who's going to win the All-Ireland, whatever it may be. You put two two fishermen, fly fishermen at a bar within 20 minutes, they're telling each other's life story and their mates for the rest of their lives probably even be closer, you know? So um, it's, you know, it's, it's the camaraderie, the friendships you make throughout it. Um, real highlights. If I pick one moment in them, well, look, you always have to look at when you do really well. You know, there was a couple of times that we were lucky enough, myself and a few of my teammates, to, to do quite well in tournaments. And, you know, they're, they're always, because you put so much effort and energy into them, it's always nice to get some reward. You're not going to get a reward. You, you you do badly in an awful lot more than you will do good. So just to get another one every day, every odd trip, it just helps you kind of say, right, okay, you know, we just need to work that bit harder for the next one. We might get that bit closer. What was your um, What was the best finish? Best finish we ever had. We won a couple of Welsh... Uh, the, so the European Grayland Championships to be held in Wales every year. Been on and off. For, they've been on there for about 30 odd years, I'd say nearly, um, approximately. And all Grayland during the month of December, two man te- three man teams, fantastic competition. Um, was ran by the Clinglannan um, um, Angling um, Association. Really well ran. And Hugh Morgan is the main man there now at the moment, and he he does a great job in it. Like it's a it's a real friendly competition, but still very competitive. You know these competitions, they're all very friendly, but there still is there's still competitions at the end of the day. You know, but a very very social competition, very nicely, very beautiful place, beautiful river, River D for Grayland is amazing. One of most one of the best rivers in Europe, without a doubt. And um, say how this Grayland International there. People, country or teams from all over Europe come to it. Um, so we ha- we happen to manage to win it twice. For an Irish team to go to a um, a Grayling River and win that twice, we we got won it twice and we got the silver medal within four years. Yeah, we got we got lucky. We got lucky with some draws. We got lucky with techniques, techniques and flies, and it just worked for us for four for four years. So we did really, you know, we we that was like we're very proud of our achievement over there. Um, so that was you know great the, the Piala Cup. Two years ago in Italy, we, we got the silver medal there. Um, myself and Dave Donovan, two-man team. Again, there were 78 teams in that from all over all over the world um, because it was the it was the pre-competition to the World Championships. Uh, and we managed to get second place. We jumped from... we On the second day, it was a four-session competition over two days. So on the first after the first day, we were in 17th place. And then we knew we had to work hard at night. We knew we had two tough enough beats next morning, but they could produce... Some, especially if we really worked hard at it. So we sat down at night, made our game plan, really focused ourselves. And we went on to win our two sessions on the Sunday, which jumped us from 17th up into second. You know, we weren't, it was, a uh, first place was unattainable, unfortunately, they were so far ahead of us. But to get up into a silver medal in that position for Irish competitors, because unfortunately in the fly fishing world, Irish competitors, we've never really got it right. You know, we've never got our qualification system right. We've never really got the whole team thing off to a, like other countries would have it like you know an awful lot has to do with financial supports and stuff as well but so for an Irish team any Irish team 
be it ourselves or any other Irish team, it's great to see Irish teams up, you know, competing at the highest level and showing that we're as good. You know, technically, I believe Irish river anglers are as good as any other river anglers on the planet. And I have an argument with any man any day about it. You know, technically we are. I think our psychology and, you know, that's where we're kind of lacking a little bit. Self-belief, our attention to detail, um, you know, that's there in other countries is, is, is kind of where we're kind of letting ourselves down an awful lot, you know, or a little bit that's just not getting us up to the top level. Well, and is a lot of it to do with the qualification system? Because you're not the first person I've heard give out about it. I don't. I, I think in, in some ways it needs change and some way it doesn't. Now, if you can picture, it's very democratic. So the way we qualify through for the world and Europeans is very democratic. So you can go to an, a, a, a provincial championships, catch some fish, come into top 20, go to an All-Ireland provincial champ, or an All-Ireland inter-provincial championships and get in the top three and qualify for fish or country. I totally agree. That's, you know, that is, it's very democratic. It's very fair. Everyone gets their crack at it, you know, which is right because if I didn't get that opportunity when I was 19, to go to Sweden and get that education I got in Sweden, I certainly wouldn't be in the position I am now with the, you know, with the desire and drive to get the knowledge that I want um, to learn and stuff. So in some ways is that, but when you look at the whole bigger picture of Irish teams and trying to get them up to that top bench, you know, it, something needs to be twe- tweaked. You know, we need to find some, some way to tweak things to, to, um, get some, I don't know what it is. The answer has been toiled with for as long as I've been involved in federations and stuff for 20 odd years. Um, you know, that answer, there's been countless debates had about it. The answer has never came to fore yet, but, you know, it needs to be looked at. It needs to be looked at if, you know, to find some way to find a balance there. How do they do it in France or Italy? Well, or most Czech? of those countries would have some kind of a qualification system, but they would have a lot of consistency on their teams. So like the same guys would fish regularly you know, they would fish regularly for their, 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 their home country on your world and Europeans. And if you're fishing regularly on world, in world championships, in European championships, you know, obviously your, your chance of that little bit of luck that you need is going to come along and a bit more often. But your, your, your knowledge and your professionalism rises too, like, you know. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a complicated one. Like, it's, it's, I presume as well they'd have a lot more sponsorship. Fo- that, of course, yeah. Well, if you were getting, if you have a team... You know, if you have a team that's performing at the highest level and it's up around the top, like the World Fly Fishing Championships is the number one. There is no other World Fly Fishing Championships. You know, that's it. There's only one. Um, so, you know, if you have a team that's competing up around the top of that, absolutely, fly fishing sponsors. That's the team you want to be sponsoring. You know, they're, they're the ones that you want promoting your product. Um, so, obviously, naturally brings along an extra bit of sponsorship, you know. Any um, anglers from that you've competed against that stand out, you know, time after time that are just consistently top uh, Well, I would, yeah, look at Pascal Conrad. I wasn't lucky enough to fish <clears throat> against him in Sweden. That time he was, a, he's a Frenchman, uh, outstanding. Um, you have the Santi brothers from Italy, absolute gentlemen and just on another level. Um, you look at the Chinks, the Czechs like, you know, um, Lubas Rose and them lads, they're all, you know, fantastic anglers. And, you know, David Arcade from Spain, spent, you know, another absolute amazing angler. Um, you know, you can list them off. They're all good, you know, fantastic anglers. And it's, it's not that they're doing it differently technically to us. It's just that they're, ah, it's so hard to play. It's just, you know, their, the raw desire to achieve that is just so much more there than, you know, they, they really, and their outlook, they're, they're, the way they analyze it and break it down and their attention to detail is exceptional. Like, I mean, you know, it's exceptional. Like, 
Um, and there's a lot of it to do you know, with like, they're, they're, the rivers they would fish would be like the the fish are a lot more spooky so that they really have to be so specific in terms of how like well that said, would that would help that helps an awful lot being you know fishing for very difficult fish um and you know ireland is like we're we're absolutely so you know we're just we got so many rivers it's, it's ridiculous like uh, and lakes like so you know when you and you've got miles and miles of them it's not as if you go in and fish one spot and that's it you're done for the day you can keep walking for five kilometers in most directions you know when you park up your car in most rivers so you know you go in you take a couple of fish out of this run you go to the next one take a couple of fish out of this run you know go to the next one take a couple of fish and at the end of your day you've got 30 or 40 trout that's a fair haul of fish like um you know um where you know maybe a bit more focused on development and stuff you might only choose one little piece of water, three, four hundred yards long, and it might be the fast water, it might be the nice slow dead water, and focus your entire day on that, and you know, pick out those fish, and that will certainly give you a, you know, a much more comfortable feeling when you get the draw and you look at your water, and it goes, it's only three hundred yards long, it's all flat water. What the hell am I going to do here now? Because you know, oops, I've never fished that kind of water before. You know, or it's it's, it's a one fish. It's a one fish um, beat, you know, there's only one, you're only going to get one fish out of it. You know that when you walk up to it, that is going to be really tough. You've been told it's going to be really tough, possibly one, maybe two fish out of it. Like, so you're, you know, to have the concentration level and the self-belief to make that happen then is, is, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we just can't seem to get into our kind of approach to fly fishing competitions that likes of those guys do, you know, they will stick it out. Like they will grind it out and they'll finish as strong in the last five minutes as they would have started in the first five, you know. But what what it sounds about though, you're kind of nearly saying like our abundance of fish here is you know is like is not it, an advantage. Yeah, that but you know it's great for the no, kind it's, of that's exactly it. it's not an advantage. It's not a bad thing. It, you know it's fantastic. For the casual angler, it's here. Like, yeah. Absolutely, but for the competitive angler, you know, um you, you need to be tougher, tougher rivers. Yeah, yeah. You need to be yeah, uh, that makes you sharp. That makes you sharper. It makes you more attention to detail. You don't take, you know, if you if you go down to the shore and or parts of them rivers, would have the big flowing runs, you know, abundance of brown trouts in them, um, which is amazing. See, and it's great to have them. Um, you know, and you fish away there, you throw 20, 30 casts, you miss a fish here, you take a footstep wrong, and you might spook two or three. And ah, sure, what the matter? Sure, there's another <laughs> 50 or 60 there in front of you anyway. Sure, <laughs> you're still going to end up with a, a beautiful bag of trout and be very, and rightly so, be proud of your catch. Like, I don't think there's any trout there he's to catch, but you know, where if you actually went into a small little run, there was only two trout in it, possibility of only catching one of them, and you're only, you know, you're only going to get one crack at them. Tell you, you'd be very careful of where you put your feet, and you'd be very careful of where you put your fly. Um, you know, you would do everything in a completely more intense manner, you know, and the intensity those guys can get into their fly fishing when they're in the zone in the championships is is awesome. There's no other word to describe it. It is awesome. They are athletes. They, I mean, them boys, they are absolute athletes. Like, and the physical, the physical endurance they go through through a session. Now, I, we'd all try to do, we all try to aspire to get to that level of physical. And it is tough. Like, a three-hour sessions in a major championships is absolutely, you know, you'd be knackered after, like, but mentally and physically. But, they, you know, the, the level that they can reach is just awesome, you know? Yeah. So tell me this, Peter. Um, you, is it Thomastown you grew up near or up beside the Noor? No, no. I grew up in Rathrum in County Wicklow, up in the Wicklow Mountains. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Grew up in Rathrum with the Avonmore River there. Spent my whole childhood on that river. And if you're talking about river that's challenging, now that's a challenging river. That's a fast fl- flowing, acidic, high acidity, 
uh, mountain river running across granite for probably a million years and has bored its way down through this canyon that runs down through Wicklow, uh, the Vale of Avoca. And uh, my, magnificent scenery, absolutely magnificent scenery, and an absolute, it can be an absolute horror to fish. It's so slippy. The trout are so, like, you know, they're, they're really <clears throat> not scary. You know, they're, they're easily spooked. You know, they're, they're, they're always in a protective, a protective zone, <clears throat> you know, because they're protecting themselves from all kinds of uh, predators and from floods and that kind of stuff. So, you know, in around all those boulders, there could be three, four foot gaps, holes going down into, you know, tunnels, whatever it may be, because it's bored its way down through the rock for so long. So the trout have so many places to hide. So you really have to have all your wits about you fishing that river. If not, you're going to end up with a blank. You're going to end up going swimming a couple of times. Um, yeah, a great, great river to grow up on and be educated. Yeah, you know, educated was it, on that did, river. What a, what a beautiful. Did your father fish, or was it in the family, or? Yes, dad, dad was all well. A lot of dad's brothers. He would came from a big family in Rattrum, and they would have all fished. You know, it was part of growing up back then. I suppose there was fifteen of them in the family, so they didn't buy a whole lot of meat or something like that. You know, they had a small little. Kind of farm there, you know, did a few pigs and a few cows and stuff like that. And they'd done a lot of hunting and a lot of fishing. And, um, you know, it was something to do. I suppose it was their pastime because there was nothing else to do back then. Um, so, yeah, they, and, you know, dad really got into the fly fishing then. Um, and even growing up, my memories of dad bringing me fishing, walking the train tracks down to the river, fish our way back, you know, things like that down in Avondale Estate and stuff like that. And then him always going to the Sunday. Back then, there was nearly a, a competition every second Sunday on the river. And, you know, Dad did go down and Mom would bring me down to the weigh-in and I'd get to watch Dad. And, you know, he he, he won his fair share of them. He was the first Leinster man to win, win in All-Ireland in, um, what year was that now? He won an All-Ireland in, he won the Interprovincial All-Ireland in 91. And he was the first Leinster man to win one. Um, river Provincial, back then, it was all Munster anglers were far superior um, but the, the All-Ireland came up the rat room and he won it on his home river. So that was a really big achievement, you know, at the time to win a national. Um, so you come from good so, pedigree. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that competition, that competitive age was always there, you know. Um, um, and so you're, always but, there. But you're based down beside the Nore now. That's your their local river, is it? Yeah. So about, what was it, uh, about 15 years ago, I moved to Kenny and... Um, Yep, moved to Kenny, lived in Kenny City for a couple of years, then moved out to Thomastown here, just on the edge of halfway between Thomastown and Bennis Bridge. And that's where I reside now, bought a house here. Um, front River Nor is probably only maybe a minute and a half from the front door. Um, perfect, lovely, lovely, quiet part of the country. Uh, beautiful river. So all my fishing is done on the River Nor now and its tributaries. Um, probably not the best place to practice for competitions, but it's very enjoyable fishing. Yeah, you know, you can get out um, for an hour. Or yeah, so very enjoyable. And what's yeah, your, absolutely. Yeah. What's your favorite type of fishing? Nymphing, dry fly. What do you? Well, nymphing is something I do a lot of, not because I enjoy it as much as I used to, but I do a lot of it because I want to stay on the edge. I want to try. And, you know, you're always developing. You know, you, the stuff and setups I was using last year. I'm not using them this year. I've moved on a little bit, trying to perfect it, get a little bit better all the time. So I do a lot of nymph fishing. And, and most people that contact me for information or coaching, it's all nymph fishing. Dry fly, dry dropper, you know, absolutely love it. You know, that's relaxing, a bit more relaxing. I'm not as, you know, while you're still developing and trying to improve all the time, but it's, it's certainly a lot more relaxing than it would be when, it, when I'm nymphing. So, you know, straight dry during the day, looking to bring trout up in the wild, on the, on the blind, shall I say, um, to, to, to patterns. I love that. I love trying to 
imitate a pattern that will actually attract trout during the day. Not when they're in free rise in the evening time. I very, very rarely fish in the evening rise. I love early morning fishing. I love being on the river to crack it on, break it, break a day and be down there. You're like the only person on the planet well, with a dry fly, maybe a couple of trout popping up and trying to take off a few select fish with a little pattern that you've just tied yourself, trying to imitate the natural insect. And um, that's my, you know, that's the real thing. Like, yeah. Because then you're bringing the fly tying and the fly fishing together really together and you're you're you know you're not looking for big quantities you're just looking for success and for me being able to get a trout to come up and even look at it that's success enough for me i'm happy enough with that you know so you're making me yeah. want you're making me wet, wet my appetite here <laughs> you want to get back out in the river now and you're hearing you talk about it actually i i have to say i like the nymphing in the sense of I have three young kids, so kind of the, the opportunities I get to fish are quite limited at the moment. And usually it's the shores near me, five minutes down the road. And usually I find the best time is the kids go to bed and I can get out for an hour or two. And at least I know what nymphing, you're guaranteed to kind of put a bend yeah, on the rod. that's it. If, um, if, if, yeah, absolutely. If you've got a short time, it is great, you know, be like down for an hour. You know, you, you'll get some, get into one, two spots and you'll, you'll catch a few fish, get the, you know, feed the habit and then, you know, perfect, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. That's the joy about river fishing as a whole is that you can just do, you know, I fish seven days a week when I'm allowed, like, you know, outside of COVID-19, like, but even though the river's so close to me, I still won't go, you know, I won't dare, even though I take the dog down for a walk because there's nothing between me and the river, only land, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going through any gates or touching anything or nothing, um, it's all private area, so no one can get down there on himself and one, one or a set of neighbours, like, so, um, I still won't fish because, you know, it's the principal thing, but you know, when I am allowed to fish, I, I'm on that seven days a week. Like most mornings, I would get up and the first thing I'll do is, you know, head down to the river, throw an hour or two, do an hour or two casting or, you know, catch a couple of fish and then head on, you know, head, head back up. Like just going to Thomastown there and, you know, and lovely little spots like so. It's great. Well, you know? since I have you here, what's the, I'm interested in you're saying you're, you've changed your setup now for this year. Give us an insight into kind of uh, the nymphing setup now. So what I kind of, what we, I see kind of more, I'm always, you know, reading and researching a bit and trying to, Trying to think of something that's a little bit more to educate, more so than to more so than to, to get people's minds thinking, more so than to try and improve my kind of performance as such, if you get what I mean. And what I kind of analyze, analyzing what's kind of the way people are developing and stuff like that. You know, when someone comes to me now, well, what's the new thing? It's you know, as regards indicators. Let's say you know you have your you have your setup, you have your rod reel, you have your tapered leader, um, and then you come down to an indicator. And then from there you have your your nymph your nymph placement after that on your tippet, um, and what I'm saying now to guys is like you know that we're 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 becoming far over reliant on the indicator. All our focus and all our energy is going into that indicator. We're staring at it. We're looking at you know we're 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 looking for that indicator to indicate to us when there's a fish. And what's actually happening is we're missing more fish than we're catching because. We are focusing on the indicator and we're not focusing on the only two things that can catch us a fish and that's the two nymphs you have on. So what I'm actually doing, if a guy person comes to me now for a bit of coaching, we get rid of the indicators, no indicators whatsoever. Tapered leader, down to yoke, none of that. And it's, it's like when you say, you know, if you lose one of your senses, your eyesight, your hearing, your, your speech, whatever it may be, what happens to your other senses? They magnify, right? They magnify, they sharpen. Take away that indicator that you've been staring at solidly for the last couple of years. Take it away. You're no longer relying on that. What are you relying on now? You're now relying a little bit on sight because your, your leader, you still spot your leader moving, twitching, whatever. But in far suppler ways, which are relying now more on feel, you're relying more on the most important thing you have to have when you're nymphing is contact. If you don't have contact, you don't know what's going on with those nymphs. And 
you must have contact. So you take away those that indicator that you're it's sitting on top of the water that you're waiting for to give you, and you have to now really focus on your contact, your sensitivity, your you know the feel you have in your setup, not only in your not only in, in you know as regards feeling, but you've got an end, you know, if you're not getting the the trans the transformation of the 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 tips and the knocks back up through your rod, through your handle into your hand, well then you need to change your setup as well, you know. So you've got to have the right equipment that'll allow you to achieve this like but then you know so that's the way we're kind of going now is making people focus more on what's going on with the nymphs and less of what's going on with the indicator. So we were tight lining all the time, you know, we're always in contact with those nymphs. We're in control of those nymphs. So let's say when you want to move, let's say like I can you know go into six inches of water with okay maybe not say six let's say 12 inches of water with two four mil beads and not get snagged in the bottom because i control the depth of my beads because i'm in touch with them i'm in contact with them right so when I, if, if i threw them in hit the water on the surface and literally rip them back across the surface of water they won't even sink an inch because you're controlling the depth of them now an awful lot of people when they're maybe focusing a bit too much on their indicator and those nymphs are being less settled to the bottom they're getting snags they're getting caught you know you do have to be on the bottom to catch fish don't get me wrong. We must be on the bottom to catch fish because that's what they're that's what they're feeding. Um, so you know they're getting bits of dirt on them. They're getting caught in between the stones, whatever else. Where if you actually f- focus a little bit more on tight lining and get that drag just right, just right, you know, cast it up, let them filter, and then get the contact straight away and keep them. You can control the level of your nymph, you know, through counts. So we're counting. We're always counting in our head. So when I hit the when I throw in the first cast into a particular piece of water and counting how long is that nymph going to take? It might only take a couple of seconds, maybe even less. Get down, then keep contact. I get snagged in the bottom. The next time, I might keep that contact a little bit quicker, stop that snag coming in. Um, not only that, when you keep that, and you have that count going on your head the whole time, you are, you know, you and you've got that contact. Any fish touch those nymphs, you're, you're locked into them straight away. You don't even have to strike. You're just automatically locked into them. So when you're fishing fast, hard water, and you fish that medit, it's very aggressive, it's very efficient, and you're going to do an awful lot more casting and catching than the guy next to you. If you can get the sense of what I'm saying. And what we what we would do then is what we do then is once you get into the once you put your flies exactly into the zone of where they need to be, you start counting again. So I'm fishing a run, say in Thomastown, where I know I'm going to get probably 30, 40 fish because it's absolute choked with fish. And what I'll do is when I get the first one, I, I'm counting again. So as soon as I get the, down to the zone, I'm getting the contact and going one, two, three. Oh, there's a fish, grand. Next cast, one, two, three. Oh, there's a fish, grand. After that, I strike and three every time. I don't wait. You just strike. It's called anticipated striking. You know the fish are in that zone. You know your nymph is in that zone. The chance that a trout has that nymph in his mouth at that particular moment is about 70 to 80%. Just strike. Don't wait to go to four, five, six, seven. Let it swing around you. Cast again. Because you do that over 100 casts, you've just wasted a lot of time waiting to get out. We're actually, if you did it, and I know myself and Dave, the guy you're fishing an awful lot with, we did that last year in the Blackwater Day, the tournament down there. It was on the, the strike of three. We struck. And uh, our catch rate was, and, and uh, there was a big difference there between some of the guys that were on the beach before us and, and then say our, our catch rate. We weren't waiting to see if one would take it a little bit longer. We were just fired in, one, two, three, strike. Fired in, one, two, three, strike. Fired in, one, two, three, strike. And we covered um, an awful lot more water and we had an awful lot more strikes than most other people had. Hence, we had an awful lot more fish, you know. So little things like that, you know. It's about having all those little things in your bank that you can go down and just adjust on the day. 
that very rarely you'll get two days the same or two pieces of water the same. Shroud are different, atmospheric pressure, cloud cover, sunshine, wind, you know, water levels, uh, water temperatures, everything like that plays such a big factor in trout's behavior. You just don't know. But what you do is over the years is you build up this whole little bank of skills and very subtle little things you can do. And that when you go to the river on the day, you make an assessment. This is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to go at. This is how I'm going to approach these fish. Um, you know, and if it works great and if it doesn't, you're making small little adjustments within the first few minutes you're there or whatever it may be, or half an hour. You make the little adjustments, use that skill set you have, and hence you, then you start picking off your fish, you know, and that's what it's, that's really what it is like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're gathering that, and that's where traveling and tournaments, like people say to me, I want to get really big into fly fishing. I want to really get big into tournaments. I'd say, first thing you do, stop buying gear, stop spending money on gear. I know it's terrible. And actually someone with a fishing shop saying this, stop spending money on gear, start spending money on travel, get out there, get, put yourself out there, go to places, go to Italy, go to Czech, go to Poland, find the guys out there that are fishing, find innovative. There's guys out there. Mirko Skafar in Slovenia is a genius. That man is so far ahead of his time. It's unbelievable. He's doing stuff out there that people aren't even dreaming of. You know, there's other people around the world that, um, that you know, go meet these people. They're all just normal human beings, very friendly. And um, that's how we got educated. You know, I travel six or eight times, maybe some years, even 10 times a year all across Europe. Um, just meeting people, fishing tournaments, getting fishing here, fishing there, education, you know, and it's just a love for it. And I'm not trying to ever achieve totality in my fishing knowledge like this. That's un- unachievable. Well, I just, I have just to, love. I have, I just well, I have to say your passion, your passion is coming through, Peter. Like, and like, that's the, that's the best thing about it when you speak to people like yourself who are just so passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, it, it's so admirable as well because, you know, you've decided to kind of dedicate your life to it. So tell me about Piscari Flight that you set up um and what it does and how people can you know get the products and t- tell me a bit more about the setting up of the company so when i set that up about four or five years ago it kind of was just a natural progression from where i was at that time um you know i was tying a bit of a tying flies kind of semi-commercially at the time um using that to kind of fund um you know a few trips here and there whatever throughout the year um I know it's just a man because you were in the competition scene, you were putting yourself out there a bit on social media. People were asking, Oh, would you tie me a few names? Would you tie me a few names? And I'd never any problem sharing patterns. And people know they were delighted with the results and then they'd come back for more and more. And I just grew. And then a time came where I found it really difficult to access quality tungsten beads at a large volume through online retail stores. And it was very frustrating. And uh, same with hooks and stuff like that. So I approached the manufacturer um, in relation to tungsten beads. And the quality of tungsten bead just wasn't there for me, you know, to really, again, going down to micro details of the, you know, the quality of tungsten bead is, it, it can be, you know, never be underestimated. So I uh, got into it, I spent six months to a year working with them, got the, exactly the bead I want, the cuts, the quality of tungsten, the anodization process, exactly the way I wanted it, and bring them in. But in order to bring them in from a manufacturer, you can't bring in 2,000 beads, you have to bring in at least... 50 to 100,000 per order, you know, so um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of tungsten to be, to be left lying around. So, you know, then started kind of just dabbling away a bit that sharing that out amongst friends and stuff and, you know, off, offset the load a bit. Um, same with hooks, got into do haku, always liked to do haku hooks, got into them, told them the story, you know, commercial tire kind of uh, getting bigger at it and would love to tie a full time in their hooks, you know, so um, kind of struck up a thing with them and then just from then on, it just grew and, you know, Kind of after doing that only for a couple of months, I said, right, you know, this needs to be a company. This needs to be a business. There's potential for a business here. I'm getting a lot of interest. 
speaking to a lot of my friends and stuff and said, look, why don't you, you know, there is a market there for someone that is really honed in on that area of, you know, river nymph fishing with the experience that we would have and the skill set we'd have to really know the product. And that's, that's the one motto when I set this whole thing up. I don't sell anything I don't use myself. So I can stand over every product. I sell only Hannock and I sell only Duhaku hooks. I turn down other brands because I don't use them. You know, um, I sell Shogun, I sell Hannock Tippet because that's the only stuff I use. You know, uh, I sell my tungsten beads. Uh, I use a lot of Sabaya dubbins. You know, uh, Tommy Fly Trades I use a lot of. So, so everyone that comes to me with a question about a product or a new or a, some kind of a, what, what are they using this or what are they using that, I can give them the full rundown of a, every little product I have because I use it myself. I trust the product and customers feed off that too. I think they get, you know, a bit of satisfaction that they're not, they're not just being sold another product that I can stand over the rationale of why I'm going to sell them that product. product. So, and, and I suppose in, have we been, have you been busier now because of, like we said, because of COVID now people are really kind of turning their attention to fly tying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's been, been like, it's grown from strength to strength. Um, you know, every day there's more and more orders coming, which is great because again, I don't take anything out of Pascari Fly. It, it was never set up that way. I was never, go, I'd never done this to make money out of Pascari Fly. Uh, everything I get goes back into the business immediately. So as soon as I, at the end of every month, have something left over after paying off the bills, well then, you know, that money gets invested in new product or product development. So I can bring even better product or more product to the customer. Like, you know, um, and that's the kind of way we've built this business. A cousin of mine has kind of come on board a bit more now over the last year or so, Mark. And um, he's, again, as passionate about it as I am. So the two of us bounce off each other or not. We're looking how to develop, you know, how to sh- information share a bit more, you know, r- really specifically looking at individual products. Will this suit us? Will it not? We get it in, we test it. It's okay, maybe we'll give it another while before we maybe introduce it to our customers and stuff like that. So we're building slow. We're small. And I don't, you know, I'm, I have no intentions to become a big superstar. Just want to say very small, very niche, very kind of focused on our customers, uh, focused on our product range as regards modern nymphing techniques, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and really, you know, honing on, on, on a key set of products that just keeps us tipping along and keeps us living the dream. You know, being, <laughs> well, being completely submersed in fly fishing without without getting over the top or without getting too commercial. A big problem with with fly tying and fly fishing nowadays is the commercialization of it. Unfortunately, it's a big business, you know, and there's an awful lot of you know commercialization going on out there with social media and stuff like that. I know a lot of people ring me and ask me for advice and different products, and I've if I don't have something that doesn't suit them, I will tell them where to go and get it. I won't try and sell them something else in place, you know. I'll actually give them the honest and say, look, I don't have what you want. I have something similar, but it's not what you want. I know what you need, and this is where you're going to go get it, you know. So, but unfortunately, there is an awful lot of commercialization there that's involved in the business at the moment and we don't want to get wrapped up in that kind of thing you know we, we're quite happy staying small but just you know be really looking you know keep on our little our little market and, and if people want to find out more have a look at the products and and um where do they go so we got a website www.piscarifly.com they can go onto our piscarifly youtube we have a blog there probably not being updated as much as it has been in previous years because there's no fishing um but they can go onto the blog there and we you know we have a lot of tips and Chats going on there. Um, Facebook, we've got, uh, you know, Pascari Fly on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on Twitter. So, you know, by all means, you know, my phone number spread across there. If people want to have a conversation, pick up the phone, give me a ring. I talk about fly fishing seven days a week, three, you know, 12 hours a day. So no problem. Uh, send me a text. Send us an email. Any questions or queries about anything, you know, even, you know, just by all means, we love to talk. We love to help people out. 
and um, share information. And, you know, we, and it turns around then because we get to learn more. You know, if you, you know, you get to learn to, you know, you, you always, you're always going to learn something new every day from somebody. So very best luck for the, for the next stage of your journey. Um, I know people will be fly time a lot much, more yeah. and they'll have a bunch of flies ready for the rivers <laughs> post COVID. Yeah. Everyone, will, whenever there'll be plenty of, uh, plenty of full fly boxes going to the river in a couple of weeks. Oh, please God. But do you know what's the most important thing? If everyone just has their health. Yeah. Stay, that's the most important thing. If, you know, and I see a lot, a lot of teams going on and, social media at the moment oh, i wish the government would lift the ban for fishing and i am the very same you know i wish they would in a certain sense but nonetheless we have to bring it back into reality there's people dying out there there's families out there that are being destroyed because they can't go to their parents or grandparents funerals you know so fishing can wait as i put up a poster a while ago on social media the rivers will flow the rivers will flow and they won't stop flowing they'll still be there next year but let's just everyone be safe and get out the other side of this and then we can all go fishing together you know nobody in a rush Let's, let's just get that out of the way first and then then we can enjoy our fishing you know? so please God everyone will be safe and sound and we'll, we'll catch a few trout yet Peter Driver of Piscari Fly thanks a million for uh, for joining me on the show thanks for the opportunity yeah love the podcast and uh, thanks a million my thanks to Peter Driver of Piscari Fly for joining me on the show and I'll be back next week with another episode of Ireland on the Fly don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from you can also keep in touch on IrelandOnTheFly.com and on Instagram at IrelandOnTheFly. Thanks for listening. The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season... We've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mann. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.